September is Faith Month. Thank you. That's right. The global movement starts here, folks. We're taking over the year for the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with June, July, August yet. Sounds, sounds like three months, probably fairly Trinitarian. We could give those to the nature of our God. But we're taking over the calendar again with the fruit of the Spirit, and September is Faith Month. And today we're going to be talking about faithfulness. Turn it on, press the button. Good. And this comes from Galatians chapter 5, where the Holy Spirit, writing through the Apostle Paul, says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yes, I realize I'm starting in the second half of the fruit of the Spirit, but like I've been saying, the Christian life, walking with Jesus, starts with faith, and so it seems like faith is a great place to start. This list starts with love, because love is the greatest fruit of the Spirit, and binds together all the other fruit of the Spirit, but I rejigged it because it made more sense to me with the project I was doing, and I'm trying to be faithful to the Word and not unfaithful to the Word in how we do this. All right, and we've been looking at the Greek word pistis. Everyone say pistis. Yes. Look, we survived it. And what I've been saying is that if you read the Greek lexicon that tells you about what this word means in the Greek, there are actually three broad definitions of this word. The first one is to have faith or to have trust or to have confidence. That's that experience of, of in your heart where you trust somebody. And this is really the entryway into walking with God through with the Lord Jesus Christ. Often you don't know as much as you know him, if that makes sense. Very often you come to a place where it's like, this is a bit of my story. I learned a little bit about Jesus, and then my heart was filled with trust for him. And now I've been learning the truth of Jesus ever since then. And it goes together, but often the experience is it all starts with trust. Trust in a person. Trust in the man Christ Jesus raised from the dead. That's what it means to be a Christian. I have trust in a living Lord. And we talked about that. And then last week we talked about the faith or true doctrine or this idea that there are commanding truths. There are realities that must be responded to. And you can either respond well or you can respond horribly, but they can't be ignored. And this is also a biblical word, the faith. This is what God has told us about himself and us and the world. And if we believe it, we're living in reality. And if we reject it, we're living in a lie, but these truths cannot be ignored. And today, we're talking about this thing called faithfulness or trustworthiness. And here's a verse um, where it's all pulled together, 1 Timothy 5.8, and it has to do with widows. So, women live longer than men. That's right. Um, There's a multiplicity of reasons, I'm sure. But women live longer than men, and especially in the first century where I think people were more likely to have quite an age gap between the men and the women. And so churches, since the beginning of the church, have gathered widows. And so what to do with taking care of the widows has been an issue since the beginning. 
and something that we need to take more care of as a church. And so Paul is writing to this church about taking this call seriously. But he wants to say a principle of that families are meant to be taking care of their, their older folks first before it becomes a church issue. It should be like circles of care. If your family can take care of you, your family should take care of you. If they can't, then the church can step in after that. And, but he says this interesting principle at the end. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than someone who has no faith. Meaning that even unbelievers can take care of grandma sometimes. And so if a Christian comes together with this awesome biblical reason why they don't need to take care of grandma, which is what we talked about last time, remember? The Pharisees criticized Jesus for not washing his hands, and he destroys them for how they don't care for their moms and dads. He says, if you come up with a theology like this, you're actually worse than someone who doesn't even know God, and obviously you don't know the truth about God because your life and how you behave is denying all this stuff. And how I see this is all these definitions of pistis. Your lack of faith and the fact that you don't know the faith is showing itself in your unfaithfulness. Does that make sense? Because you don't know the truth or you don't believe the truth, you're acting in an untrustworthy way. And what we can see from this is that God wants to complete the circle in our lives. God does not want there to be a huge difference between what we say we believe and how we act our belief. He wants us to be whole and united and unified so that what we do confirms what we say and how we feel, not our feelings and what we say we believe. The people who know us are just like, maybe you should just sit down. All right? So this is the goal for today, to talk about this thing of faithfulness. Expressing the fact that you have confidence in the true Jesus. As what God longs for in his people and what he's looking for amongst his people. But before we get there, I actually just want to take some time talking about the faithfulness of God. Because this is where you can kind of get in this like whole grace versus works trouble and you can step on a landmine and someone can go away declaring Rob the Antichrist because he talked about actually acting like a Christian. And um, maybe that was too much. But um, I want to start by describing the character of God as a faithful God so that we realize that as we're talking about changing to show our faith and that people can feel our faith, we're not thinking we're doing this to earn anything. We're not doing this in competition with anyone. We are really just trying to become like the God who loves us because he's faithful first. And all of our desires for change and our efforts towards change and our submission into change is within. We are at the bottom of the ocean of God's faithfulness when we do this walk together. Clear? I hope. So let's just read some verses about God's faithfulness. Um, and this is sermon number one. I'll let you know when the first sermon's done and then we'll move into the second sermon. Some verses about God's faithfulness. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus gave this big call to the crowds, and he's just trying to share his heart for people. And essentially what he's saying is, I want to take care of you. Jesus wants to take care of you. He wants to be faithful to you and he wants you to feel his faithfulness. He wants to cause you to experience how faithful he can be. And so he's not like overwhelmed by you. And he's not frustrated when you want to come needing help. He says, come to me. Come to me when it feels like life is a slog. Come to me when it feels like you're carrying way too much. And I want to give you the experience of my rest. Take my yoke upon you. Like, saddle up. And I know different people, a yoke is like what oxes would wear when they were going to pull a plow together. And there's, people read this different ways. And But he's like, yoke yourself up with my strength. Get yourself in the position so that my strength is pulling your load. And in practice, do it by learning my ways. And finding out the faith. And trusting me to tell you the truth. And as I work with you, I'm going to be gentle. Because you've never met anyone more humble. This isn't like a mutual using relationship. I'm not trying to get something from you. I want to give and be faithful to you, says Jesus. It's his heart for us this morning. He wants to be faithful to you and he wants you to experience his faithfulness. It's who he is. Another great verse for thinking about the faithfulness of God. This one's from Hebrews. I was trying to go to some different places here. Just to show that it's not getting out of the gospel. So there's multiple voices singing in harmony here. Excuse me. This is the uh, end of Hebrews. And he says this. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said. This is God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And I think if you're watching, you can see these three perspectives I've been talking about in this. What is the faith? The faith is that God has promised you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the faith. And so in response, our heart with confidence says, the Lord is my helper, me. Me, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Canadian church, who is regularly convinced that man can do quite a lot to us. Right? It's the problem with colony theology, I'm sorry to say this, where we run into the woods every time something goes wrong. Sometimes that's okay, but often... We don't even fight. Like the Lord is our helper. 
First you have the faith, then you have the heart of faith, and then it explains how you can act this out with faithfulness. Hey, keep your life free from the love of money, and that will be your faithfulness to a God who will never leave you. But you have this promise. God's heart to you is, I am planning to never leave you or forsake you. That's the Father's plan. That's his heart. That's his intention. This is our faith. When you come to Jesus, the plan is he'll never leave you or forsake you. He's faithful. Oh, golly, here we go. One more. And uh, I'm going to pray for this one. Lord Jesus, I just need your help. I don't know what to do next. Amen. The Apostle Paul, trying to describe to the Roman church how much trust they should have in him because of how much faithfulness God has shown in how he saved them. This is what I think is going on. And he says to them, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. So he's talking about faithfulness stuff there. Even the best people will only sometimes find someone willing to die for them in faithfulness. Unlike me. Anybody willing to? Anybody? Anybody want to die for Rob? Anybody? Anybody? No, I'm tithing, Rob. It's fine. We're good. But God shows his, can I put it in there, faithful love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified, so declared righteous in God's sight by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies... The opposite of faithfulness. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? And this is what I've been trying to get my brain around since Friday. It's been tough. When God wanted to design our salvation, he designed it in a way to be the most unfaithful event in human history that purchases unlimited faithfulness towards his people. When God designed the cross of Christ, it was intentionally built to be the culmination of nearly unlimited unfaithfulness of people. And that same event built and constructed and purchased unlimited faithfulness from God towards his people. And I don't know what to do with it. There was the government leader, Pilate. His job is to execute justice. He knew Jesus was innocent and condemned him anyways. There were the religious leaders amongst the Pharisees. Their job is to know and act like God. And they knew that Jesus was something special. They knew that he was a prophet and they betrayed him anyways. There's the disciples that at the night of his arrest were just promising him, we'll never leave you, we'd rather die than leave you, but ran away when the soldiers arrived. And there was Judas, his friend, who identified him for death with a kiss. 
And then there was Jesus hanging on the cross. The sign of being cursed by God and rejected by his father. Every kind of rejection we could ever fear. Every kind of unfaithfulness we could ever feel afraid might happen to us. God destined and designed to all fall on his son on the cross. And the blood that was spilled on the cross bought my forgiveness. And his death on the cross killed my unrighteousness. And that kiss that put Jesus into the arms of his torturers bought Jesus' never-ending friendship towards me. And I look at this event, which is in the flesh, the most unfaithful moment ever, but in the spirit is the most faithful moment ever. And I just don't know what to do with God anymore. Do you guys ever watch Pepe Le Pew cartoons? <laughs> He's a skunk. And there's always this black cat who walks underneath a piece of paint or goes underneath something, and then she looks like a skunk. Now, Pepe has one gift, and it's not his intellect. It's his persistence. And so the whole joke is, the cat tries to get away, and then Pepe arrives again, and then she runs, she gets in a car and drives to from France, because Pepe, to the America, and there's Pepe, and then she just can't get away from him. Oh, chante, and his heart is doing the thing, and the eyes are doing the thing, and mademoiselle, your fur, it's so beautiful, it smells like paint for some reason, but I don't smell that good myself, and oh, ha, ha. And it's this joke about this, like, thing that won't leave you alone. And I've just been feeling the fear of the Lord about this God of faithfulness who you cannot stop. Who chose to use unfaithfulness to prove his faithfulness. He's so dangerous. In the best way. He's so freakily unstoppable. That he took our murdering him to give us eternal life. Like what do you do with that? I, I feel like that cat. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. Psalm 139, I could go up to heaven, you're there. I could go right to the depths of the sea, you're there. I could go to the dead place and you're there. I can't get away from the faithfulness of God. And so the only thing you can really do is surrender. That's all you can do. You can't beat him and you can't escape him. All you can do is surrender. You've got to surrender. That's all we have. You surrender. You win. Jesus, you win. You win. You came out of the grave. You went to the throne of heaven. You've won. You win. You win. You win. I'll stop fighting. I'll stop running. I'll stop fighting. I'll stop arguing. I'll stop running. You win. You win. You win. You win. So what does God want for our response? This God who so 
terrifyingly faithful, if I can put it like that. I, I'm, I'm running out of words. Forgive me if this doesn't make sense. Well, Jesus teaches his people, he says, you are the light of the world now. You're the people I've given my never-ending faithfulness to. Put my name on you. I'm going to love you forever. Put my yoke on you that's easy and light. Teach you how to live. Never leave you alone. This is my hope for you. This is my heart for you. This is what I want. You're the light of the world now, Calvary. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a light stand. You know, we, don't, we didn't buy these things and then bury them under the stage. You hang them up high where people can be positively impacted by it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's how you complete the circle. You take all the truth and all the goodness that you've got from Jesus and you, you try to pass it on so that other people will see him too. That's faithfulness. Acting in a way that makes people experience that the real God is really real. Or it's a readiness to obey for the glory of God. Often when we talk about faithfulness, we think about things like uh, cleaning your room. Teenagers, put up your hand if there's no socks on your floor right now. Put on your hand there's no socks. Well done, sir. Well done. A little act of faithfulness, right? little act of faithfulness. And yes, it's like doing what you say, keeping your promise. True. But it's good to do what you say you're going to do and good to keep your promise because that's exactly what God is like. And when we do that, we make people experience the goodness of our God. That's what faithfulness is. End of sermon number one. Start of sermon number two. Well, i got time. Let's look at Jesus working with people's faithfulness issues in real life, where he talks about marriage. Matthew 19.1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee, entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. That doesn't matter to me right now. This part matters. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them. Okay? So when you read the story, it's in front of an audience. It's like if I was talking with someone on the stage, and we were both mic'd up. Verse 3, and Pharisees, so these are the professional know-it-alls, come up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? This is somewhat a theological debate at the time. I'm sure it was a political issue at the time. Um, And they wanted to test him, right? Try to get him in trouble. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So this is a the faith adjustment. This is the faith. For followers of Jesus, this is what marriage is. This is God's purpose for it. This is his will for it. This is his will for sexuality. This is his will for sexual identity. Now, I would just like to say right now, I am not in the mood or have any intention in sitting in judgment on anybody. Uh, I don't care what your past is right now. I care that you want to meet Jesus in the present. 
So I'm not saying anything I'm about to say can, to condemn anybody. I've got my own reasons to never sit in gen- judgment on anybody ever again. However, um, we all need to hear the truth so we can be sane. And I love to hear Jesus' high standards because it, I find it comforting to know that Jesus gets it and that he's not compromised. I'm not the pure one in my relationship with Jesus. That's him. But I, I want to know how pure he is because I love him and he loves me. And I love the high standards because I don't want to stop changing to become more like Jesus because I enjoy him and fruitfulness. And so I like high standards. And I, I'm okay with the slow progress to change. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. I don't think Jesus is either. But he does tap our hearts and say, you know things aren't right. And you know it's hurting you. And you know it's hurting others. And you know it's costing you the walk you're supposed to have with me. And now it's time. So Jesus gives these Pharisees the most faithful understanding of how you could think about marriage from Scripture. Now here they want to debate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Okay. Now again, as I'm reading this story, it's interesting to me, there's a large crowd here, which means there's a lot of married women in the crowd. All of a sudden, the professional know-it-alls are saying, yeah, but what about those verses that said, like, you can just, you know, like, write it down and goodbye. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So there's a few things going on here. Um... It kind of exposes a little bit that the Bible's quite big, and if someone wants to find verses to excuse unfaithfulness, they can. And I've just been thinking about this, and if you're going to have a picture of what like faithfulness in marriage looks like, why not, like, instead of even this Moses one, why not pick Solomon? If you're going to like just pick something from the Bible, what does faithfulness look like? Well, you've got up to a thousand. You can have up to a thousand. You've got to be pretty rich. How does up to a thousand sound, guys? No, yeah, no thank you. Well, why don't we just stick with, like, um, Jacob. Four. Two real wives and two their maids. Like a Hollywood thing. <laughs> it just makes us me realize it is not hard to find some way to give yourself an excuse to not be as faithful as you could be. Jesus, Whoa, says the Lord. Let me show you how to read the Bible in a way where you're aiming at as being as faithful as you could be. But also you see in here that uh, marriage isn't an absolute um, there is this except here. The only absolute relationship 
is uh, ours with the Lord. And because we live in a broken world, any relationship can get broken if things get bad enough. Which is sad. Sometimes being faithful to the Lord means pressing pause on a person that's in a bad place and won't change. I'm just saying that. It's really easy to just say, never divorce and end up disagreeing with Jesus. Okay, interesting. The disciples are there. So here's the disciples. The disciples said to him, Whoa, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Let that sink in. So the disciples are hearing Jesus' high call to faithfulness. And one of them, the verbal processor one, says out loud enough for other people to hear, this might be a big ask, Jesus. And of course, what Jesus does next is he dumbs it down and makes it easy for everybody, right? No, he's, But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. And in a nutshell, what Jesus is saying is this, is if you really think it's a bad deal to get into a relationship with someone where you're making a life and death commitment to faithfulness, you don't have to do it. You can choose to live single if you don't want to say, I'm going to be committed to this, this person alone for the rest of my life. Which seems like a very mature response to me. Now, there's a few things going on in here. He's using the word eunuch. Um, they didn't really have a word for, for single like we do. Uh, not married and eunuch, at least in this bottom one, are kind of synonyms. They mean the same thing. So he's saying, you know, we, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to being faithful to people, um, I'm going to make this make sense at some point, I hope. But when it comes to this call to faithfulness, there are some people who are just born in a way that they can't make this kind of relationship. And it's hard. And God says in Isaiah, hey, if this is you, I can give you a name better than children. I can give you a place in my temple that's better than anybody else. When this isn't working, you can still have a wonderful working relationship with God and he will be faithful to you. There are also people who have been made eunuchs by men. And so this is against people's choice. There's been cultures throughout time when the castration of men and removing them from being able to form this kind of union has been very commonplace. Um, Here's your information tidbits. So for a number of centuries, the African slave trade was a big, big deal worldwide. Um, Africans enslaving other Africans and then taking them to other people groups and then selling them. Many of them ended up in the West, especially like Brazil and America and places like that, where they did not practice um, castration of their slaves. And so you still have these communities here, the descendants here. Uh, But 
at least one scholar said probably more or at least the same amount of people ended up getting uh, enslaved and sold into the Arab world or the Muslim world, North Africa, that area. But their big difference was that um, eunuchs were worth a lot more money on the market. And so the men were almost, without exception, castrated on the way there. Lots of them would have died, of course. But you ended up not having any communities of Africans from Africa in these places because the men would maybe um, breed with the slave women, but the men themselves couldn't have their own pairings. And it was very prolific. Like, if you read any of the scholars talking about this, there were explorers who would go into these areas over time, and they would say that the skin colors of communities would lighten and darken depending on how many slaves were coming from the Slavic areas of Europe or from Africa. You would have, like, this Arab city, and they'd get a load, and then all of a sudden the children would all be lighter or darker. And it was... I'm just sharing this because, like, welcome to the real world. It's a horrible place. But when Jesus is talking like this, he's talking to real people. And FYI, church, we are going to be loving many people who through one reason or another cannot function like this anymore because of what's going on in our culture and in our medical world right now. There are lots of children who are having stuff happen to them and they'll never be able to participate in this kind of relationship because of it. And we can love them and we can accept them and we know that Jesus wants to be faithful to them. Okay? But then there's also a kind of person who's made themselves a eunuch, and this doesn't mean you go and cut anything off yourself. Like, wasn't there that one Bible guy who did back in Origin, I think, did that? that? This just means you embrace the call to singleness for the sake of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, hey, if you can do it, you should do it. Now, why, why am I talking about all this stuff in the area of faithfulness? Uh, no, I'll finish off the story first. Okay, so Jesus has this long talk with these guys who are looking for loopholes in their family relationship, faithfulness areas. Jesus closes up every loophole for the call to faithfulness. And the next thing you have happen is all the moms start wanting Jesus to pray for their kids. Then children were brought to him, that he may lay hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And I just wonder, okay, I can't prove it, but I just wonder if it's like, there's all these ladies who are used to getting half-hearted faithfulness in the room, and Jesus stands up of the teacher of teachers and says, no more. All of your faithfulness to God is bound up with how you treat your wife. And there's no such thing as being faithful to God without being faithful to your wife. And all the moms show up and they're like, finally, thank you. Because they, had, they went to church sometimes and they would have their pastor stand up and say, seven reasons for you to leave your wife behind. Number one, the cooking. Number two, the looks. Number three, the nagging. Number four, the aging. Number five, the money. Number six, just because. And number seven, whatever. You, you feel great, ladies? This is your best of all po- possible worlds? So I, I'm here because this debate was about faithfulness. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are worshiping an all-in faithfulness, God. 
And as much as it depends on you, I want you to be all in faithful to the women and the children in your life. And as you're planning your singleness, look over in this direction. (laughs) I've already brought enough awkward for the day. As you're in your singleness and you're planning your future, remember, you will probably one day have a grown daughter who you will want to be proud of you. Brothers, be loyal to her today. And very likely one day you will have a son that you want to lead in the faith. Brothers, be faithful to him today. Because we're here to be faithful. Sexuality is about being faithful. It's about being one with the faithful God. So number one, know that God wants you united and whole. Your faith and your actions all saying the same thing. And this is the best life. It's work, but this is the best life. I hate feeling like a hypocrite, which I usually call Mondays. (laughs) Number two, aim to obey. God wants to help you obey and God wants to do great things through your obedience as you want to be faithful to him and others. Remember, there's so much power that flows through not my will, but yours be done. Number three, forgive and forsake bitterness. Every faithful relationship is built on forgiveness. All our relationships with Jesus are built on forgiveness. Every marriage is only as good as its forgiveness. Every relationship with children is only good as it's forgiveness. Every church will only last as long as we're forgiving. So make it a habit. Confess your sins, forgive their sins. Confess your sins, forgive their sins. Okay, here it comes. It's my techno-inspired rap time. Can somebody put this to a meme beat? Confess your sins, forgive their sins. Do you want to live a faithful life? Confess your sins, forgive their sins. This is, it's, this is it. This is how it all works. And number four, aim to be faithful in your sexual identity. What shows God's character with how I think about and treat men or women? What protects children? The story ends with these children getting blessed when the disciples weren't thinking about them and Jesus is not happy. We need to be thinking about the children. And then what gives honor and life to the other in our sexual relationships what's treating women like they are made in the image of god and should not be used for personal advantage in any way whatsoever what treats men like they are honorable and made in the image of god and should not be used for personal advantage in any way We've got lots of time for ministry. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer that you don't want to hear what you're talking about or what you're sharing to people, we do have a room over here that can be quite private. Um, And I just want to call the church to surrender. That if you feel like you've been half-hearted with Jesus, come and get prayer. And just say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I've got the walls up. I want to surrender. You don't need a plan today. You don't need a, 
I'd actually really encourage you not to come here up to the front trying to think of a plan. Part of how we end up isolated from God is we just keep ending him our next quick fix and our next quick fix and our next quick fix instead of just surrendering to him and letting him be our faithful Lord who will lead us. But I do want to call people forward. I also want to call people forward if you have any aches or pains or illnesses. It's not just going to be people feeling quite broken here up at the front or if you have anything you need. I'm going to share one last thought because I do wonder if we're in a pivotal time in the church still. I am bothered by the story of the early apostles and how they got beaten up for Jesus for preaching about him and then in result they they threw a party. Do you remember that story? They're early preaching about Jesus. They get arrested. The Sanhedrin says, cut that stuff out and we'll beat you up for a little while. And they go out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. It bugs me, that story. Because getting wailed on with sticks for the gospel doesn't fit into my idea of things going well. And it makes me feel unfaithful to Jesus. And it makes me feel like maybe some of our views of how life has to go and how comfortable things need to be in order for us to be okay or for us to be blessed or church going well just does not line up with the will of God. We need to meet with him. Amen. So Father God, would you come and help us do work with you? We know that you have designed everything so that you get to be unstoppably and infinitely faithful to us forever with great joy. And Lord, I lift up to you all of our hurts, all of our disappointments, all of our unbelief, all of our selfishnesses, all of our defensivenesses, and everything that gets in the way of us being just as faithful as we can be in response to you. Pray you set us free. You're so free, church. It's been done for you. Every hurt will serve what God has planned for you. You're so free, church. Get those gray clothes gone. It's time to laugh and run. It's time to laugh and run. You're so free, church. Your past can serve your power. Don't give the devil room. Don't listen for just one hour. You're so free, church. And get those shame clothes gone. It's time to laugh and run. It's time to laugh and run.